you are listening to This Book I Read, a podcast from Beyond Cataclysm. Welcome to This Book I Read, a podcast from Beyond Cataclysm, where we talk to authors about a book that stuck with them through the years, for good reasons, and sometimes horrible bad ones too. My name is Chris, he, him. I'm also known as C.M. Lowry, and I like to write things, hopefully good things, but sometimes bad things too. Uh, My most recent fiction release was a book of super short fiction called The Die Decides, and you can find out more about me at allaboutchris.org or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as at C.M. Lowry Author. You're not listening because you're interested in me, though. You're interested to find out all about Chris Durston, author of Each Little Universe and Chronicles from the World of Guilt. Hello. Hello. Goodness. That was all about Chris.org is a fantastic domain, by the way. That's brilliant. Well snatched up. Yeah, thanks. I uh, There's actually, um, oh, there's a country. Uh, I can't remember which country it is, but it has the domain ending the tld of dot is and very early i've been i used to do web design and things like that so i got into this world probably in about 2003 i actually started a medical i'm a doctor as well i started a medical revision uh wiki before wikipedia existed that's how old i am (laughs) um and uh, i tried to get chr dot is oh, yes. uh, um, nice. which would have then been just literally chris um and the owner of chr.is who is called chris sent me an email basically saying ha i got here first you're never having this debate <laughs> um but uh, that's fine i do have a friend who owns philip.org which is pretty cool as well um, that's pretty cool he bought that in like 1992 <laughs> uh we're probably not here to talk about websites chris tell us a little bit about yourself can do. Uh, I'm Chris Durston. Uh, he or they, don't really mind. Slight preference for they today, I think. Um, I have been writing books for a while. I mean, I've I've been writing stuff about just about as long as I can remember because my parents got this really rubbish computer when I was younger and it only had Word and a game where you were a tank, I think. Um, and I did a lot of both of those things. Um, and the stuff that I wrote was largely rubbish and I was also not very good at the tank game. Um, nevertheless, I still write and play video games a lot today. And those are the two things that I sort of spend a lot of time doing, other than caring for um, my one-year-old daughter. I also do that. That's very important. I should say that. Yeah, I think I think social services tend to frown upon. What did you do yeah. today? Well, I didn't look after the one-year-old, but I did get really good at the tank game. Um, marvelous. Yeah, I, I never got that good at the tank game. <laughs> I used to play. There was a um, on Q Basic. There was a game where you were apes throwing bananas, and the bananas would destroy buildings, and you were trying to hit the other person who who was also an ape, and you were throwing bananas at them. That was good. That uh, sounds weirdly familiar, but probably hundreds of variations on apes throwing bananas at buildings. I don't know. There, there, there probably are. Anyway, Chris, why are you here today? Well, there's this book I read. So, Chris, what book you bought for us today and why 
So I've brought The Lord of the Rings by John Ronald Royal Tolkien, um, which is one book in three volumes, everyone. Let's just get that straight, first of all. So one book, I'm not cheating. Um, although in my hand, I've got The Two Towers, which, as most people will probably know, is the second of the three. I, li- I like the idea that you're like, oh, it's definitely one book, but I've only brought one of the three books physically with me. I do. I've got the other two over there, but this is the one that I've got. That, uh, that's fine. I think the second person we had on the show was Adrian Tchaikovsky, who brought the Gorman Gast trilogy. So we oh, broke the Lord. rules very early on. So uh, why have you brought Lord of the Rings? Um, well, the reason I brought Lord of the Rings is because it's one of the only books that I actually make an effort to reread sort of with, with reasonable regularity. Um, one of the only other books I do that with is The Silmarillion, um, maybe physically. So every, every couple of years, I'll go back to The Lord of the Rings because I just always find something to love in it, I think, um, which I do with almost no other books, which is a real shame because I used to reread books all the time. Um, like my childhood copies of, uh, do you remember Christopher Paolini's Inheritance? No, I was going to say trilogy, so. but it ended up being four books. Uh, was Aragon was the first one. Okay, yeah. The, the big dragon on the front. Anyway, I read that one so much that the, the hardcover like fully fell off and disintegrated. Um, so that was me as a kid. These days I have less time to read, so it's more read lots of things, often shorter things, very quickly. Um, but Lord of the Rings is one that I'll always go back to and one that I'll always find things to love in. And that's why I've got it. Fantastic. I mean, we when we talked about you coming on the show uh, and we, we talked about book options, I was actually really a little bit excited when you thought, said Lord of the Rings. The problem with this book I read is is people often try and, you know, we, we're trying to bring something that, that has good stuff, but maybe there's elements we want to critique as well. And when you mm. talk to authors, they tend to bring literary treasures such as uh, James Wallace brought A Void uh, a few episodes ago, which has uh, no ease in the entire book. And so we had these really interesting, slightly technical discussions. But what you've done is you've brought, well, I mean, you've brought a classic, but you've also brought a rip-roaring story, uh, which is, well, is exciting. Yeah, I like to think so. I mean, I, I I will admit, I did think about bringing something, should we say, a bit more litvic. Um I've, I've got I've got plenty of options on that front too. So I recently just read for the first time, bizarrely, um, Italo Calvino's "If on a Winter's Night a Traveller," which it's, so a void. I think yeah. So that's Ulipo tradition. So that one only uses well, I say only every letter apart from e. I think "If on a Winter's Night a Traveller" does a similar thing where different chapters play by different constraints. So people like Calvino were super concerned with like the way that language forms meaning and the way that you can kind of restrict yourself on that and do really fun things with it and i do i do like that kind of thing as you can probably tell from the way i'm talking about it but um lord of the rings is is my jam so that's what i've got yeah and if you are interested in that that idea of those traditions and and the idea of kind of working within limits do listen to the episode of this book i read with james wallace because we talk about that stuff a lot uh but yes lord of the rings so give us a brief synopsis like a brief one given that it's about the size of a, a full yellow pages. Uh, oh gosh, that's a that's a reference. Some people will not understand that reference. Um, but I, I I'm just about old enough to know what that was, and that you can't. It's very difficult to tear one in half. Um, so the Lord of the Rings is a story about uh, a 50 year old guy who looks like Elijah Wood and is very small. Um, and there's an older guy who is uh, like a gay wizard. He's great. And uh, there's some magical jewelry that is really bad, and they have to blow it up. And then wow. they go for a walk for like a thousand pages. That's a fantastic synopsis that whilst being really accurate, 
also is sort of completely out there and doesn't really say what the book is. So I love it. That's fine. Um, do you have a favourite quote you would like to share from the book? I do. I have. I, I mean, it's full of quotable moments, and there's probably almost as many quotes that people will give you as there are sentences and the whole thing. But I have gone with uh, a moment from Two Towers where Merry and Pippin, who are two small hobbits, uh, first meet a guy called Treebeard, who is um, a big tree with a beard. Um, and that's obviously a very indicative name, but he talks to them about the way that names work. And so, for, I mean, I'm probably not saying anything that people don't know here, but Tolkien kind of invented the world of Lord of the Rings to give his invented languages somewhere to live, right? It, mo most, most people, like George R.R. Martin readily admits when he needs a word in Dothraki, he just kind of bullshits it. He just sort of goes, this is going to be the word for horse now, um, and does, does it that way. Tolkien was a professor of languages. He was a translator. He was fluent in a, a whole lot of things. Um, and so he he created these, these languages um, just kind of for fun, but then realized languages only really make sense in the context of a history and a people. And so he invented the whole world of Arda um, to give those languages somewhere to, to live and to develop and people to speak them because what is a language without people to speak them? So um, Treebeard is talking to Merry and Pippin about Entish, which is the language of the trees, which is very slow and very sort of um, considerate, I suppose. So Treebeard says, For I am not going to tell you my name, not yet at any rate. For one thing, it would take a long while. My name is growing all the time and I've lived a very long, long time. So my name is like a story. <clears throat> Real names tell you the story of the things they belong to in my language, in the old Entish, as you might say. It is a lovely language, but it takes a very long time to say anything in it because we do not say anything in it unless it is worth mm, taking a long time to say and to listen to. That was amazingly well read. Um, I, I like the, uh, you, you put some like, I'm pretty sure there's some bits that aren't, some <clears throat> bits that aren't. He, do, he does sort of do that, yeah. Um, but it's not it's not marked, but there's a bit where he sort of starts going, which is apparently a deep rumbling noise, like a discord on a great organ. Um, oh, see that, but see that's, that's, that's the amazing bits of writing, aren't they? Sometimes, you know, like how mm -hmm. do you, how do you I, I think I've covered it on a on a previous podcast, but um, you know, there are some books that do um that do accents really well that really flavor things. So like Brian Jakes's um kind of red wall books really flavor um I think the the moles have a kind of a, a cor Cornish accent. Um and yeah, think things like that that uh that really bring bring characters to life almost immediately. Mm. Like they take a shape, you know, just from hearing you read that and and that, and that like brum, it's a long what do you say a long rumbling noise uh, it is a a deep rumbling noise like a discord on a great organ and like that that there like yeah right. you take, that tells you, you exactly can... what that is <laughs> yeah but no, it's, it's interesting because I, I i think phon phonetic accents even when kind of executed well are often a bit too much um and so the kind of the way that Tolkien tends to do it with the way characters talk is just give them really distinct patterns of speech rather than kind of writing out the, the actual accent. Um, and so there's different ways of doing it, but I think because uh, Hagrid's got a bit of a phonetic accent, hasn't he? I think that's sort of fairly understated, so it's not too much. But um, yeah, it, it's easy to overdo, I think. I, no, I think it absolutely is easy to overdo and and can be done poorly. And I'm not not even necessarily defending 
much about Brian Jakes's writing, but mm-hmm. I think as a as a child, uh, when I was reading them, there the, to the uh, I think especially the moles, they'd be like boys, er, er, er. like I remember struggling to understand yeah. what they were saying, and then when I got through that, they had so much more value, and like I, I'd almost like earned the kind of earned the understanding of what they were saying and so then i had this real love for them uh, in a way that i mm. think if it had just been easy to read straight away that maybe i i wouldn't have done but yeah there's 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 pros and negatives what what is your favorite thing about the lord of the rings oh good lord um I mean, I think a lot of people will say the fact that it is essentially about the least heroic character doing the the kind of most heroic thing. Um, I mean, Frodo ostensibly is kind of the protagonist in most people's minds, but Sam really is the one that makes things happen at the end. And then you've got Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, who are all kind of princes of their lines. Um, and Gandalf, of course, who's literally an angel. Um and their the fun- their function, the best thing that they can possibly do with their existence is buy this hobbit a bit of time. Like they they go into the, that final battle outside the gates of Mordor, not expecting to win. They're like, if we can give this three foot guy who likes knitting and sausages like an extra hour to walk into a mountain and chuck the ring into the lava, then that will be the most meaningful thing we could possibly have done with our kind of you know royal privileged lives. Um, yeah, and th- I said that's what most people would say. I, 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 I'm going to say the Ents. I just love the Ents; they're my favorite. Um, so Treebeard goes on not long after this to he, he's asking Merry and Pippin, "What, what do you call this thing?" And they say, "Is that a hill?" And he says, "Oh, yeah, no, it is that, but it's a hasty word for a thing that has stood here ever since this part of the world was shaped." Yeah, and I just amazing. I adore that so much. And um, my favorite character in maybe anything is uh, there's an Ent called Bregalad or Quickbeam. Um, who's named that because he once said yes to an old rent before he'd finished asking a question. Yeah. Um, which tells you everything you need to know about that guy in like five words. Like Tom Bombadil could never live up to such a concise characterization, you know? Yeah, I I have to say, I think I, I've i always had a fondness for Tom Bombadil. I think that's... Uh, he is great, I, though. I would love to... Uh, um, for those who've seen the films but not not read the books, Tom Bombadil is a almost a sort of Father Christmassy kind of character who they is actually one of the... Is one of the first kind of otherworldly. You, you know, you, you encounter characters in Lord of the Rings that, well, you you alluded to. Um, well, you didn't allude to. You said Gandalf is basically an angel, mm-hmm. uh, and that tells me that you're a Silmarillion reader, which I'm not. Oh yes, um, <laughs> but um, but but there's there's lots of kind of semi kind of like godlike or kind of immortal slash kind of things that happen and characters that have got kind of a deeper magicalness than just normal mortals like the hobbits. And I think Tom Bombadil's the first the first one apart from Gandalf like that that you encounter who is sort of otherworldly in some way. Um for some reason didn't didn't make the cut for the films probably because he's a little bit <laughs> weird. He, yeah, he wanders around in his boots singing his his name basically and what color things are um which as as fun as it is to read probably wouldn't have been the most thrilling thing on film. Um and pe- people still like theorizing about what Tom Bombadil is, which is a question I don't think probably has a sort of definitive answer. Um, but people are really kind of into this whole, what? why is Tom Bombadil? What is Tom Bombadil? And is, he's just a guy who loves his boots and his wife, um, I think. But um, 
but yeah, no, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that he's one of the first kind of, I guess, extra natural things because where we start with the hobbits in the Shire is so, um, kind of rural and pastoral and very kind of homely and down to earth. Like their biggest concerns are sort of what are we having for second breakfast, um, and where are we going to get the the sweet sweet weed from, um, and we kind of spend enough time with them in that to get used to the sense that even though they live in a fantasy world and nowadays we kind of expect fantasy worlds to have, you know, touches of the divine and, and magic in like their world is just this very normal world of, of food and drink and and that kind of thing. Um, with the occasional, you know, acknowledgement that people like Gandalf are out there. Um, and I think that kind of carries throughout the book. Like there's not, there's not an awful lot of really fantastic fantasy in it, in the sense that I think people maybe think there is like, yeah, there are different races and things, but th there's not an awful lot of magic. Like, there's a very soft magic that Gandalf sometimes does and that the elves sometimes do, but that's much more about their relationship with with the world than kind of actively casting spells or whatever. Um, and I think the Silmarillion kind of gives some context to to why that is, but but you don't need that. But yeah, I, I always think it's interesting that the Lord of the Rings, despite being kind of the arch archetypical fantasy, doesn't really play out in the way that a lot of modern high fantasy does. That makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I mean, even you, you talk about the kind of humdrum everyday kind of world of the hobbits and and like even even Gandalf, who they know is a wizard. Basically, what that means to them is that when he comes, he does really quite impressive fireworks. And and that's that's it. Like that is the full yeah. extent of of why they think he has any value as a magician. Um, this guy's really cool. <laughs> What problems or challenges do you have with the book? Oh, Lordy. Um, it's long. That's probably the, the first one to mention. I mean, again, it's archetypical in the sense that a lot of people that followed it decided that fantasy books need to be long. Um, so that's kind of a problem that fantasy readers are having to overcome all the time. Um, but it, it is long. It, the prose takes a bit of getting used to. Like for me, it's not an issue now, but I know I've recommended it to a few people who who are kind of you know, in their in their twenties and never read Lord of the Rings, and they just find the writing style so um, alien. Almost, I th it's it's even harder than reading something that you kind of expect to be a like a quote unquote classic. You expect that to be you, you expect Dickens to be kind of oddly worded to to a modern ear. But I think people kind of go into Lord of the Rings thinking everyone loves this. It must be a really easy read, and actually, it takes some it it, it takes some slow reading, I think, and some kind of thoughtful reading to just take in like just purely the words of the prose um which i think yeah. people maybe don't expect i think dickens is a really interesting comparison actually i mean so i read lord of the rings first and i got into dickens later and I, actually mm. you know i read christmas carol last year which is obviously quite a short book but i whizzed through it absolutely like you know because i thought i i love muppets christmas carol and i was like i've never actually yeah. read the original <laughs> and um but the thing with the thing with dickens and a lot of those guys and a lot of the early sci-fi guys compared to fantasy is yeah. that they were all writing for serial publishing you know so they needed to make things like that with that a little bit you know so dickens i think would be published in newspapers every week um and so they needed to be a bit more concise a bit more readable i think maybe a little bit more grabby as well so that you're kind of excited about what happens next um what what's your so i i have a strong opinion about lord of the rings um in that i completely agree with you um well, I, I think I overly agree with you because you think it's long, whereas I think it's too long, which is slightly <laughs> different. Um, I love The Hobbit and have reread The Hobbit one zillion times. 
I have read the whole of Lord of the Rings the whole way through one times and halfway through once and given up once. Fair enough. And I don't think I'm ever going to read Lord of the Rings all the way through again, probably. But I am going to read The Hobbit 10 more times. Um, yeah, I just, what's your opinion of The Hobbit? Uh, I I like The Hobbit. I, I'm in kind of the opposite position to you, I guess, in that I've read The Hobbit, but have not often felt a, a desire to go back to it. Um, I think when my daughter's a bit older, I will probably start her on that rather than jumping into Lord of the Rings or heaven forbid, like History of Middle Earth or something. Um, hey guys, we're doing the book of Lost Tales for bedtime today. This is going to be really fun. Um, I, I find a lot of the the kind of the, the circumstances around the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings really interesting. Um, I have a I have a book that I've actually read probably more than I've read the Hobbit called The History of the Hobbit, which is a much bigger, thicker book that um, talks about all kinds of fun things, like the fact that Gandalf used to be called Bladorthan. And I'm like, can you imagine if they'd stuck with that? If Tolkien had never changed Gandalf's name, like, would how how much of a difference would that have made? Kind of popular, you know, a, appeal of of the whole thing. Um, but no, I I do I do like the Hobbit very much um, as a kind of a kid's story that works really well for what it is. I think uh, I, I think it's not the kind of thing that I often feel a hankering to go back to, maybe, maybe because I kind of see it as a kid's story, even though in, I have this this bigger context. Um, but one thing I do really love about it is that it's it's one of the only books I can think of that kind of patched its story in the way that video games do these days. Mm. Um, so like it's really easy for a game to kind of um, release an update that changes some detail to match with like later introduced stuff. Um, but The Hobbit is, th- there will be earlier examples of this. So I'm not going to claim it was the only one, but um, it's one of the only books I know of that uh, released a second edition that that fully changed a scene to make it more coherent with what came later. And it's to do with the, um, the fact that Gollum gives up the ring way too easily in the first edition. Um, because with what we know about the ring later, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But Tolkien put in a little forward saying of course this is the story as Bilbo's telling it and you know he he kind of embellished it a bit and he got it a bit wrong the first time so I've just kind of like gone in and like changed it but it's correct now guys okay we're all good we're all good I, I think that's I think that's great yeah I think uh um yeah it's uh it's a uh, it's a it's a bit of a who, who, hand solo shot first kind of situation uh there that they managed to adjust was it hands or Luke I'm not into Star Wars uh, a classic Han- thing about that Han or Han did did shoot first and then didn't shoot first and then people were upset about that because he's not supposed to be a very nice person I think was kind of the the long shot of that um but yeah, it, it is it is essentially that kind of situation but with the kind of added dimension of this sort of um oh gosh what's the like uh doy doy doylian versus watsonian like the kind of split between the explanation of characters in universe versus the explanation of the, of the author as to why things are happening If people um, haven't read Lord of the Rings, why should they hunt it out for a read? That's a question. <laughs> um, I th- it, it's one of those things where I I wouldn't recommend it to everyone for, for the reasons that we've already said. I think it's I think it's a more difficult read than maybe people expect. I think it's prohibitively long to to people who aren't kind of really into it. Um, but I think there's something really inimitably special about its treatment of like the kind of small people in a in a big world kind of thing. Um, 
I think a lot of things have tried to replicate that, but I think the the Tolkien's kind of background in kind of larger myth and his Catholic faith and what that kind of did for his treatment of what it means to create a story. Um, although he hated allegory, don't get him started on allegory. But I think he he had this way that I can't even quantify of making the world seem impossibly big and impossibly spectacular right there's all this there are all these elven kings who did all these amazing things um in the history and then it's just down to these two little people who don't really want to be important all sam wants is a garden you know he just wants yeah. a garden and he's thrust into having to save the world so that he can have his garden and um i don't there's yeah there's something i can't quite quantify about why that is just really still beautiful to me even though i've seen that kind of thing done a thousand times now well, I think I mean I think it's poignant as well because of the time this is all written because it's all we're all in the fifties. We're sort of yeah we we've got we've got writers and we've got even if people I I, I think was Tolkien in trenches I think I'm, he I, was yeah yeah like but even even if he wasn't if if you're writing in the nineteen fifties in England you are un, unmistakably in a post war situation where people who just wanted to grow potatoes in their gardens ended up having to go and fight in a war that that actually exactly like Sam's experience you know n- none of them would have said given the choice oh well what i want to do is be a soldier but ended yeah. up having to uh, i think that's uh, poignant i think if i w- if someone was picking lord of the rings up so although i've said i think it's too long i do like i'm very happy that i've read it that one time and that's it's important to me that i've read it and i probably will read it again at some point but if you are reading it for the first time do feel that you can skip some songs occasionally. Oh yes, like, yeah, hundred uh, percent. There's long multi-page songs in Elvish and things like that. Like, as in, give yourself. It's one of the few books that I kind of wonder what a Reader's Digest version would look like, or just actually maybe something that was just a little bit more heavily edited um, to kind of not to get rid of everything. Because I think, I think you know, the slowness of the Ents, and uh, I, I think. It's absolutely full of magic. It's an incredible book and everyone should read it. But just know that having fun is down, you know, you can have fun whatever way you want to. And if you have fun with the Lord of the Rings by maybe slightly self-editing it, you aren't cheating or not enjoying the in the enjoying the book in the the right way, you know. No, absolutely. And I think the fact that so it's this is where it gets really weird. So it's one it's one novel in six books in three volumes. It, so I was slightly wrong earlier when I just split it into three volumes. Um, and as you get further on, especially the the books kind of diverge more from each other. So like books one and two are kind of all the characters are meeting up and deciding to go on this adventure. From then onwards, the party splits a bit. And so you'll have like a whole book, which is, you know, half of a volume following the Hobbits versus the other half following um, Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli. So like, it's also, I think, completely valid to kind of like some of those more than you like others. You may You may not really dig what, the kind of heroes are up to or you may be like i just want to kind of watch a guy and an elf and a dwarf like beating up some orcs for a bit and i'm not really too fussed about the hobbits like that that's fine and unfortunately you are going to have to sift through the whole lot but i think it's one of those ones that you can kind of find something different to love every time you go back to it like the last time i read it i was really struck by um i think having just come off a massive ghibli binge i was really struck by the huge themes of like industrialism taking over nature that i kind of only half noticed before um like saruman's whole deal is basically that he's trying to over technologize like this beautiful pastoral place um 
and and that's not good capital n capital g um but yeah i i almost completely missed that like the first time yeah i think the thing the actual change that i the only bit that i think that i'm annoyed with the films about because i think the films actually do a pretty great job but the bit that i yeah. that irritates me about the films is when they come back to hobbiton um and like they've had their whole battle like they've had their whole you know that whole crazy adventure they've had and in the books they they come back and worm tongue has ended up in the shire and has done that same thing that same kind of industrialization y like and has taken it and like the thing is now they turn up and and if if you'd gone to the beginning of the book and they'd had to deal with that experience they'd have been shy or you know like he'd yeah. probably yeah. won over them and then they just walk in as as soldiers who've been away for like two years in a war and like and just have none of it at all uh and i and i think there was just something really really powerful about that that i that I felt it was a, sh- I, I didn't, whereas I could understand why they took Tom Bombadil out. I felt like they could have put that in. It fit the story and it, it seemed unnecessary to not have it in for me. I I think it might be because one of the big criticisms leveled at the last film is kind of ending fatigue. Like it sort of ends like three or four times over yeah. the space of about an hour and a half. Um, so I can kind of understand that, but no, I'm, I'm completely with you. The, the fact that they come back to see that in their absence from their home, like horrible things have been happening at home too. Um, but on such a scale that they're basically able to just come back and go like, bitch, we just killed the Dark Lord. Like, y- you are nothing. Please go away. And he's like, oh, I'm messing with the wrong people here. Like, it's, it's this wonderful kind of character development at the same time as like acknowledging that other things were going on in the world that that kind of were related to what they were doing, but that they weren't there to see. Um, I so think it's, it pro- it's a really it lovely probably, way of, yeah. It was probably a nod to that post-war thing as well, wasn't it? Because those people that came back to London, well, for sure, having, yeah, having wanted to grow their potatoes or whatever, they've come back to a London that's been through the blitz, haven't they? So, any other recommendations to people if they enjoy Lord of the Rings? Oh, now this is a weird one because despite being super duper into Lord of the Rings, I'm actually not a huge epic fantasy reader other than that. So the, the if you like Lord of the Rings is kind of a, a, a tricky one because it's actually not massively in my kind of genre, weirdly. Um, I guess I I would point to some, there's some really cool indie fantasy stuff going on lately. And I'm I'm a big fan of progression fantasy, which is kind of my my comfort read at the moment. So basically the entire premise is you start with a a fairly underpowered person and they get really flipping strong over the course of the story. And I'm like, that's great. I love that. That's comfortable. So uh, Will White has a series called Cradle, which I think is just about coming to an end. It's on like 12 books or something, um, which is kind of... That that sounds pretty fantasy. (laughs) uh, Yeah, yeah. They're all really short though, which is nice. You you can read them all in probably about two hours. Um, But yeah, it's kind of Wuxia. It starts with, you know... a a boy in the village who's the only one without powers and by the end of it he's you know taking on gods and stuff so um i i love that kind of thing that's my jam yeah i think i think the one i'd probably shout out um orcs by stan nichols um is a completely different book but it's it's set in a fantasy sort of setting but it's about it's about a band of roving orcs um but mm. what's i think what's interesting about it just like how lord of the rings kind of established some of the fantasy tropes that we have now you know so like dragons and dwarves and and um oh well, that's apparently all i can remember about you know and on orcs uh, <laughs> Tall elves. And, and and yeah look all of those sort of things 
what orcs does is it takes what you kind of think you know about orcs, which is that they're kind of horrible, rampaging monsters, and then it just makes them kind of just normal, like slightly more kind of rambunctious humans who are kind of, yeah. but who are just kind of doing a job and aren't automatically moral monsters. And it sets them in a world that everything assumes that they are, and they kind of things force right. them to be like that way. But it just follows this one war band. Um, it's it's well written. It's it's an easy. It's a fairly easy read. Definitely easier than Lord of the Rings. Um, I think <laughs> it's I think it's a trilogy, um, or it might even be a sexology, whatever that's called. Six, a hex, se- hexogy. Hex, sex. Se- I'm going to call it a sexology, just because a sounds sexology. Funny. Although I don't. If, yeah, that, if, may, may, that may make you think there's going to be Google more that. kind of yeah yeah like erotic stuff going on in there yeah. than, than I think there is. Um, but I was actually this is this is an obvious choice. Discworld. If you're into things that take those established conventions and decide to play with, especially I think the fact that people in these worlds will assume certain things. Um, Discworld is fantastic at kind of completely deconstructing those things. And again, at this point, it's you know a classic of its own genre. Um, and there are plenty of other things that have that have come since. But Discworld does a lot of those things fantastically. I mean, the whole orc thing is something that Tolkien wrestled with himself. Like even to the end of his life, he was like, I can't quite reconcile the fact that i've created an entire race of people who are inherently evil um so it was a problem for him too and a lot of people who've come since have tried to address it in in what i think are really cool ways and um, and absolutely so, yeah. um pratchett in in the discord series you, you talked about not rereading much i've got my uh there's my my pratchett's uh are behind me in a in a they're definitely well read uh, it's and a very impressive one, bookshelf i another one i'd uh, another one i'd probably throw in there is uh is the wheel of time series uh which mm. definitely is a massive weighty beast of a fantasy uh, now that i have not read purely because of the length yeah um i have to say i actually haven't finished it um partly because the uh, no partly because it's massive and long but what i would say is that i think i'm probably on about book four or five it really is captivating and like the mm. if you're into lord of the rings because you you like seeing just the depth of intricacy of that world. And if you're reading the background of like Silmarillion because you want to understand more of that, I think, uh, yeah, I think Wheel of Time does it in a in a really impressive way that also has quite a lot of a, a journey vibe to it. So there's definitely yeah. there's definitely journeying in it. So I and I'd say it's, it's just it, committing the time. <laughs> it, it is that is absolutely the problem with all reading. Uh, so that's why these days I only read pulp sci-fi uh, and I just reread the same book again and again. So that's uh, that's easier. And if you want to do that, then you should read Pay Me Bug. Uh, which is a brilliant little zappy little uh, sci-fi uh, adventure story by by C.B. Wright, uh, which is uh, brilliant. Uh, but I'm not going to talk more about that. We have finished there. Um, uh-huh. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Chris. Um, tell thank us you about know. your which book of yours would you like to plug? Um, I will plug Chronicles from the World of Guilt for it is the more recent one. Um, so, so my first book, Each Little Universe, is basically me kind of exploring my own brain, as it turns out, by creating a bunch of characters who are all neurotic in ways that I am, and sort of letting them have at it. Um, so it's it's weirdly paced and and odd. But that, sounds, that, sounds, is, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> like uh... oh, it's it's yeah, it's kind of comedic and horrendous at the same time. Um, but Chronicles and the World of Guilt is very different from from that tonally. So it's it's about 
It's about taking a, a silly premise very seriously. So basically, the world ends one day when a giant space whale shows up, and in the shadow of the space whale, things get horrible. Basically, um, and so although although that's kind of a silly image, um, basically what happens from there is over sort of hundreds, thousands of years, things get progressively weirder as Earth spends more time with with the space whale. Um, and yeah, so there's a whole bunch of things in there where there's you've got some some classic body horror, some kind of cosmic horror stuff um general dark fantasy and then just people kind of exploring a changed world people finding things to still think of as as hopeful and beautiful in spite of the fact that they're all living under an evil space whale um and kind of kind of i guess trying to do um because I'm, I'm very bad at kind of structured world structured world building um but what i kind of like doing is doing lots of little microcosms of of things and kind of zooming in very close and seeing what people are getting up to um and kind of trying to I guess build a world almost implicitly that way. Um, so that's what Chronicles in the World, is, world of Guilt is about. I mean, a it sounds good, and b I've got copies coming for the Beyond Cataclysm store, haven't I? You do, you do. Exciting! So there will be a link at the bottom of this podcast where you can. I was going to say listen, but you can't listen. Well, you can. You can read it aloud and then listen to your own voice. But we've got. A I would suggest those... doing that. I think that sounds fun. That, that does sound fun. Um, so I've been Chris Lowry, as already mentioned. You can find me in various places on the internet. And this has been a podcast from Beyond Cataclysm. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash Beyond Cataclysm. And our aim for this year is to try and pay Dave. Everyone say hello, Dave. Hello, Dave. Hi, Dave. Hi, guys. Dave may even insert himself saying hi, guys, uh, in there. Uh, Dave does a lot of our in-house sort of art and writing and editing and website stuff and and podcast editing. Uh, and he's wonderful. Uh, and we would love to be able to support Dave properly doing this stuff uh, so that he never has to worry about money again and can just become a millionaire slave. Thank you, Dave. Uh, so yes, if you could support us on there, you could also give us a five-star review somewhere, uh, on, is it even called iTunes anymore? Apple podcasts? Uh, Apple called? podcasts. Yeah. Uh, or on Spotify or one of those. That'd be great. Or tell your friends about us. We also have the What is Roleplay podcast, where we look at very niche and specific topics, but from a beginner-friendly approach, and you can check that out. And that's about it, really. So... You've just listened to this book I read, hosted by me, Chris Lowry, and starring Chris Dustin. Find out more about us, our podcasts, opportunities for submissions to our projects, and more at beyondcataclysm.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye.